1 Peter 1 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the, test, uh, the, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Well, that first song I think is very appropriate for what we're going to be thinking about uh, tonight. Great is the gospel. Uh, and uh, I, I want to start by saying that we Christians are the most privileged people to have ever lived on planet Earth. Privileged in the right sense of the word, not the way that people use the word privilege nowadays. It's almost become a bad thing, hasn't it? Privileged in the sense of how blessed are we? What a privilege it is to believe in Jesus and to be one of his people. I think Peter would make that case that we are the most blessed people to have ever lived. Not, not because of our skin colour or because of... Uh, where we live or not because of our gender or because of technological advances over previous generations. No, instead, we're the most blessed people to have ever lived because the good news of Jesus Christ has been announced to us. Uh, if, if you were to go back 500 years, imagine what it would be like. The Bible would all be in Latin. You, you might still come to church, but but you wouldn't understand what was going on. You just have to trust that the priest was telling you the truth. The gospel was there, but it was maybe fuzzy. 
Or, or go back even further. Imagine if we were still living in Britain 1,500 years ago, we'd probably be out around Stonehenge tonight painting ourselves blue because we wouldn't have known, known anything about Jesus. Or, or imagine going back 2,500 years before Jesus even came into the world. How much would you know about the gospel if you lived before Jesus came into the world? Maybe not much. You see, we are the most privileged people to have ever lived on planet Earth because the gospel has been announced to us. Sometimes I think that's hard to believe, isn't it? But we need to be reminded of this. For the people that Peter was writing to, they most certainly needed to be reminded of this. There they are, scattered across the Roman Empire. They would have suffered on all sides. Rome hates them because they don't swear allegiance to Caesar. The, the Jews hate them because they don't follow the Jewish customs anymore. The pagans hate them because they call their gods nothing. <laughs> They're hated by everyone. But instead of kind of saying, oh, woe is us, isn't our life hard? Instead, Peter reminds these people, yes, you are going through fiery trials. But remember, we have the gospel. Uh, I want us to think through three things uh, from these last few verses that we've just read. Uh, number one, inquiring prophets. Number two, inquisitive angels. And number three, incredible salvation. Let's think firstly then, inquiring prophets. Did, did you see that in verse 10? Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. There's a lot of discussion in some circles about how much the Old Testament prophets really knew about what they were saying. So, you know, when you pick up Isaiah and you read Isaiah 53... He was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Did Isaiah know that he was talking about Jesus when he said that? Or, or Moses, I read this verse just today. When Moses says that God is going to raise up a new prophet like him and everyone's going to listen to this new prophet, did he know that he was talking about the Son of God? coming into our world well Peter says doesn't he that these people they searched they inquired they were looking for answers they wanted to know who is this that we're prophesying about what's going on here Peter actually gives us a really helpful insight at verse 11 searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified about the sufferings and the glories that would follow the spirit of Christ was in them. Do you see what Peter's saying there? That the Old Testament, uh, when we pick up the, the words that Moses and Isaiah and David wrote, it, it's not their human ideas, their best guesses about what's going to happen. It, it's not a different Jewish God and now we've got the Christian God. No, it was the spirit of Christ at work in them. The Holy Spirit, he's called here the Spirit of Christ, but the Holy Spirit, he wasn't sitting in heaven waiting for the day of Pentecost when finally he'd come down to the apostles. 
No, the Holy Spirit was at work in the hearts and minds of the prophets to write the Old Testament scriptures. Now, this book that we have in our hands, it's not two books that we've just randomly stuck together. No, it is one unified book. They all speak of Jesus because they've all been written by the Spirit of Christ. As I mentioned, I read that verse about a new prophet like Moses. So I'm reading Deuteronomy. It's not always easy to read Deuteronomy, is it? It's, it's hard going sometimes in those Old Testament books. But Peter says to us, if you can't find Jesus in the Old Testament, then we've got a problem. Because the Spirit of Christ is right there inspiring these prophets to write what they wrote. Now, Paul David Tripp, he says that the Bible is almost like uh, the autobiography of Jesus. Because all of it is written by the Spirit of Christ and all of it is pointing us to the person of Christ. It's his autobiography. So these uh, prophets, they have the Spirit of Christ in them indicating, predicting, prophesying. that God is revealing to these prophets ahead of time what is going to happen. And so, for instance, God revealed to these prophets before Jesus ever came into the world, he revealed that the Saviour was going to be born in Bethlehem, that he was going to be born to a virgin, that he would suffer and die and, and rise back from the dead. He revealed to these prophets that this saviour was going to be silent in his trial before Pilate. That not one of his bones was going to be broken when he was up on the cross. That he was going to be given bitter wine. That he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. That Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, revealed all of these details ahead of time. Isn't that incredible? That he told us what was going to happen before it happened. But, but look, these prophets, they kept inquiring. They're searching what, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was indicating. They, they want to know more. Who is this person? When is he coming? And the picture that you should have in your mind is of, if you went to university, <coughs> went to the library, kind of gathered up all of the books for your essay, and you tucked yourself away in the corner if you're a good student. You, uh, with all of these books piled up around you, you scoured through for the quotes that you needed for, for your essay. That, that's what we should be imagining with these prophets. They're scouring through, uh, thinking and praying and asking, looking for answers. And the Spirit of Christ revealed what they wrote down, but they still didn't know everything. They wanted to know more. So, let's take Isaiah for, for instance. I think when Isaiah wrote, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Isaiah knows, doesn't he, that someone's coming and they are going to be punished in our place. He understands that we can have peace with God because someone else has taken the judgment for us. He didn't know that was Jesus. He didn't know his name. He didn't know everything about him. But he knew that God had salvation in store. When Malachi wrote, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. Okay, Malachi knows that God's coming. 
he didn't, didn't understand that it's Jesus, the man who is also God, fully divine, fully human. He, does, he doesn't know that. He doesn't know. Well, we still don't fully understand how that all works, do we? But, but Malachi didn't understand that. He didn't know that. But he knew that God was on the way. Let me put it to you like this. Growing up, uh, I was brought up in the West Country. We had season tickets to watch Bath Rugby. Okay, actually. <laughs> uh, Bath Rugby, they, they play uh, their home matches at a stadium called The Wreck. And it's this small little stadium tucked away right in the centre of Bath. Uh, and as you're walking around the streets of Bath, there's actually a few spots on some of the side streets where you can catch a glimpse of the stadium. And so on, on a match day, there's these people that kind of pack into these bits of the side streets of Bath to try and get a glimpse of what's happening on the pitch. But in order to see what's going on on the pitch, you kind of have to peer over a fence or kind of look through a, a crack in a wall. And even when you do manage to get a sight, there's still the, a big stand blocking half the pitch. So they can see, but they can't see all of it. Uh, these prophets... They're like those people lining the streets of Bath. They can see, they can't see all of it. They're peering through a small hole in the fence. But for us tonight, we have season tickets. We have a front row seat. We can see the entire pitch. We can see Jesus in his fullness because he's been announced clearly to us. You know, these prophets, they realize that this message that they were writing down, it was much bigger than them. Look at verse 12. To them, it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things that have now been reported to you. The, the Old Testament writers, they knew that they weren't writing it down for their benefit. It's for your benefit. So, so that you could see that the Jesus that we worship is the genuine article. He's the one that's been prophesied all the way through the Old Testament. Jesus is the offspring of the woman that was promised to Adam. Jesus is the blessing to all nations that was promised to Abraham. Jesus is the, the greater prophet promised to Moses. He's the greater priest promised to Samuel. He's the greater king promised to David. Jesus is the suffering servant promised to Isaiah. They wrote all of this down for your benefit so that you can know that this Jesus is the promised Messiah that we've all been waiting for. Do you read your Old Testament like that? Maybe I should start with a different question. Do you read your Old Testament? <laughs> and do you read it but all the while thinking, this feels like it's for someone else? Or do you read it looking for those moments where you can peer through a crack in the fence to see more of Jesus? Let's think secondly. Inquisitive angels. Look at the end of verse 12. Things which angels desire to look into. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I have a real problem trying to imagine the, kind of the angelic realm. Uh, I start reading kind of Ezekiel describing these angels and I think I'm, I'm lost <laughs> I, I can't 
really wrap my head around what's going on with the angels. But here are these angels. They're up in heaven, worshipping God. They're gathering around God's throne. But at the same time, they're also looking down at earth, thinking, what's going on down there? They look and they're amazed. They would love to look more. They long to know what's going on in the gospel. What does that mean? Angels long to look in to these things. Well, I think it comes down to this. The angels in heaven are perfect, sinless beings, aren't they? God created them sinless, and so they exist in this pure state where their relationship with God is based on their works. You know when Lucifer, Satan, who was an angel, he sinned, he grew proud, and so he was cast out of heaven. God cut him off. He sinned and he was gone. And the other angels who sinned with him, they were gone too. And there is no way back for those fallen angels. On judgment day, the angels will be punished and there is no room for mercy for them. The relationship between the angels and God is based on the perfection of the angels. So these angels, they've got no concept, have they, of mercy or grace or forgiveness. God never sent his son to the angels to die for them. And so these angels, they look on in amazement. What, what is this mercy? Well, why hasn't God punished them the way that their sins deserve? And they look at, what, what's this grace? Why is God being generous to these people? They don't deserve that. And then they they look. Who's that being born in the manger? Can you imagine the look on Gabriel's face when God told him, I want you to go to Nazareth to announce the birth of my son. I'm sorry, what? The second person of the Trinity, the one I've been worshipping ever since I was first created, He's going down there to earth to to a stable, surely not. For these angels, these are completely alien concepts that they would love to learn more. We're told that they long to look. The idea is that they're stooping down, bending down to see. It's, It's the same phrase as, you know, on Resurrection Sunday when John ran to the tomb. And then Peter runs in and kind of bursts straight in. But John, he he runs to the tomb and he waits at the entrance of the tomb and he bends down to look in to see if the body of Jesus is really gone. That's the same phrase. These angels long to peer in to see what's going on. One commentator says, it's an intense wandering interest in what God is doing here on earth for the salvation of his people. Let's think thirdly, incredible salvation. So what is it that the prophets are inquiring about? Verse 10, of this salvation. And what is it that the angels are longing to look into? It's the things. What what things? The things that have been reported to you 
through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. We are the most privileged people on planet Earth. That comes as a shock to the system, doesn't it? Here they are, scattered over the Roman Empire, having to navigate the opposition and the threat of persecution. But Peter is saying, yes, pressure is mounting, life is hard, it's difficult being a church in the 21st century, it's difficult being a church in the 1st century, but just look. The prophets were desperate to know what we know. The angels would love to investigate these things. Now, now this is where the rubber starts to hit the road. What does this actually mean for us? I don't want this just to be kind of an academic thing. Oh, prophets are thinking about this. Angels are thinking about this. How does that affect our lives? Well, let me ask you, do you appreciate what you have? Do you appreciate what you have? Sunday by Sunday, you come, you sit down, you stand up and sing, you sit down again and listen, have a little cup of tea afterwards, and then you go home again. Do you appreciate how blessed you are to, to come to church Sunday by Sunday, twice each Sunday, to come midweek? Sometimes it can be hard to get yourself out, can't it? I know that. I, I used to work in Fulham. And I lived in Felton, West London. And our church was on the way. So on a Wednesday night, I'd be on the district line, dawdling along. The district line doesn't go very fast. <laughs> Going along the district line, get to Richmond, uh, and then I'd get to Richmond, and I'd have a choice. Either I can get on the, the line to Strawberry Hill and stop off at St. Margaret's to go to church and join the midweek meeting, or I could get on the train to Reading and straight through to Feltham, and there you go, I can go home, put my feet up, enjoy a nice, uh, nice evening with my wife. Uh, very tempting. After a long day of teaching, especially when you get battered by teenage boys, it can be very tempting just to think, I want to go straight home. But actually, I'm so glad that I, I dragged myself along to the midweek. Because prophets... Angels, they would give their right arm to, to think about what we can think about tonight. What a privilege. Instead of staring at a TV all evening, I could spend time thinking about what the angels and the prophets would love to learn. Perhaps we've grown so familiar with these truths that we don't really appreciate how wonderful this is, how incredible the truth of the gospel really is. So that's question one. Do you appreciate Number two, do, do you search carefully? I don't know if you've ever seen the videos of Chinese Christians when they're given a Bible for the very first time. They're in floods of tears because they've been longing to get their hands on a copy of this book and they've finally arrived. They weep because they desperately wanted to know it. I don't know if you know that famous Spurgeon quote, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. What a great quote. Because they've been poring over the Bible. The Bible's falling to bits because they've spent so much time reading through, studying, uh, looking up cross-references, memorizing passages, marking particular verses that have stood out to them. The Bible's falling apart, but they're not because their lives have been enriched 
by reading and studying the scriptures. If you were to take this book and give it to Isaiah, I can promise you he would never put it down. Do you? Do you appreciate? Do you search? And then it's always good to ask ourselves a question, isn't it? Do we have this salvation? Does this actually belong to us? The prophets, the angels, they'd love to know more. We're the most privileged people because it's been announced to us. But do we have this salvation for ourselves? Peter summarizes brilliantly, doesn't he, what this salvation actually is. Look back at verses three to five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the message that all this fuss has been about, that through the sacrificial death of Jesus, through his victorious resurrection from the dead, because our God is a merciful, patient, forgiving God, we can be born again that we can receive new life, a life that never ends. What incredible words, incorruptible, undefiled, it never fades away. That's the hope that we have, thanks to the gospel. This salvation will never grow stale. It will never grow weak. Is that yours? Have you grabbed hold of that? You have no idea how blessed we are to be able to think about these things tonight. In the midst of all the bad news that surrounds us, we have this good news. How blessed that these things have been announced to us. Let's not take it for granted. Let me pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a gracious, a loving a forgiving God. Lord, we pray that you would help us never to just gloss over, just to assume we know it all. Lord, we pray that we would be those who search and inquire and are diligent in looking for answers. Lord, we pray that you, we would appreciate all that you have done for us through your Son. Lord, may we see him more clearly, May we love him more fully and completely. And Lord, may we follow him with greater obedience in all that we do. Lord, we thank you for this incredible gospel. Fill us with that appreciation and love for you. Because we ask it in Jesus' name.